How are we doing this morning? Doing good. Welcome to Journey. If I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Ken, and I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Uh, I'm going to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to find ourselves in a moment in verse 13, but we're going to give you plenty of time to get there. So whether you have an old-fashioned paper Bible like mine, or you have uh, an app on your tablet or phone, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 13. To give you some time to turn there, we've been in a series of journey called Think like Jesus. We started this in June, and we've been going through what is commonly called the Sermon on the Mount. This is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus that is found in Scripture. And so that started in Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. We've been going through that paragraph by paragraph. We've uh, skipped, accidentally, <laughs> skipped several places around there. Maybe we'll come back to that in October or something. But uh, we've been working through that, and now we find ourselves near the end of Jesus' sermon. If you haven't been here for any of these, don't worry. We're, we'll bring you up to speed. But Jesus is now getting near the end of his sermon, and so he, he's coming in for a descent. You know, you think about like a flight. He's coming in for a descent, and, and like a pilot would do when you're coming in for the descent, you, you can almost sense that he's saying, all right, uh, the seatbelt sign is lit up, and, and it's time to buckle up, folks. And so so what we've been hearing is now coming to a conclusion where Jesus is really going to press those who are listening to him to make some decisions. And Jesus does this not because he's mean-spirited, not because he's cranky, not because he's been preaching all day and now he's just in a bad mood. He does this because he loves the people that he's speaking to. And just like today in 2023, 2,000 years later, Jesus loves you. And because he loves you, he's going to He's going to say some things, and he's going to push you to a point of decision. And it's, again, not because he's cranky, because he loves you. And Jesus is one of those ones, you know, we have a lot of people who come into our lives, and they go out of our lives who say, I love you. But Jesus is one who doesn't just say, I love you. He backs it up. We know that the story is that after the sermon, weeks, months later, that Jesus would go to a cross willingly, a, an instrument of execution, that he would go to that willingly so that he could become our substitutionary atonement, that he could take upon himself the punishment of the sins, that, the punishment that we deserve, right? And so Jesus, Jesus is saying these things out of love and out of a self-sacrificing love. He says what he says to us. And so hopefully by now, you've turned to Matthew chapter 7. We're going to begin in verse 13, and we're going to stay in this passage. We may go to a few other passages, but we'll always come back to this. We're going to start in verse 13. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate. Enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and Many enter through it. Many enter through it. Verse 14, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So we're going to start, we'll, we'll come back to, to this passage in a moment, but, but basically what Jesus is offering, he's saying there's two paths. One leads to destruction and the other leads to life. And Jesus is saying that we have a choice regarding the path that we will take. Each of the paths start with an entrance. And we have to choose which path we're going to go down. And, and if, if you go, well, I've never made a choice, you're actually going down a path without even knowing it. The, the first path is, is the popular way of ease and comfort. The popular way of ease and comfort. Would you say that with me? The popular way of ease and comfort. This gate is obvious. You can't miss it. 
In fact, we, we were actually talking about this as a team a couple weeks ago, and I think it was Beth who was like, hey, we should Google and see like, what kind of gates were, were in the city of Jerusalem. And, and interestingly enough, you, you can see some of these. This is actually a gate in the city of Jerusalem, one of the ancient gates. And you can see this, this might be what Jesus had in mind when he talks about this wide gate. That this is a gate that literally a bus could, could go right through that gate. You, you, and, and you can see the traffic, and you can see how... how, how uh, popular this gate could be, right? This gate is obvious. You can't miss it. It's heavily trafficked. And you'll never be alone on this gate. Because of its width, you can take all the baggage that you want. I, th- I thought that's an interesting thought. Uh, you know, you don't, you don't have to choose what you're going to take on the journey. You can just take it all with you, right? You never have to leave anything behind. But Jesus says that this popular way of ease and comfort is taking you somewhere. It's leading to destruction. Now, I'm a, I'm a child of the 80s. I um, uh, was born in the late 70s. I'm a child of the 80s. And so probably because of ACDC, I have always just assumed that this is the highway to hell that Jesus is talking about, right? Some other children of the 80s in here. And, but the interesting thing is, while Jesus does have a lot to say about hell, and, and please listen to me, I don't want anyone misquoting me, we do believe there's a reality called hell, an eternal place of destruction called hell. Jesus talked about hell more than any other individual in the Bible talked about hell. He, he spent more time talking about hell than he talked about heaven, primarily because he loved the people he was talking to and he was trying to warn them. But in this passage, while, because of, again, because of ACDC, we think that he's talking about the highway to hell, but he doesn't use the word hell, he uses the word destruction. And it's not just a destruction like someday when you die that now you face this eternal sense of destruction. That it's, it's a destruction that is also, it's, it is that, but it is also here and now destruction. That as I travel the popular way of ease and comfort, it's not going to end the way that I think it's going to end. And not just in the sweet by and by, but I'm talking about like right here, right now, in my life right now. Jesus is talking about present tense destruction and ruin. He's talking about the destruction potentially of your marriage or the destruction of the relationship that you have with your kids, maybe the other key relationships in your life. He's talking about the destruction of your finances or future opportunities. See, the popular way of ease and comfort is the path of least resistance. And we see this borne out. I'll give you a few examples, and you might like some of the examples, and you might not like some of the examples, but I'm the one preaching, so I get to pick the examples we're giving. You know, it's easy to slack off at school and to not do your homework. But that is a path that leads to destruction, not necessarily like the destruction of your life, but the destruction of future opportunities. Because students who slack off and don't do their work graduate from high school and become employees who slack off and don't do their work. Now, students in this room, you can now rest at ease because now I'm going to get your parents who just said amen to me. It's easy to scroll through social media instead of serving your spouse. But that is a path that leads to destruction. It's easy to eat whatever you want, whenever you want. But that is a path that leads to destruction, right? It's easy to spend your money as soon as you get your paycheck, or here in the great United States of America, to spend your money before you get your paycheck. But that is a path that leads to destruction. It's easy when you, and I, man, I get this. It's easy as a parent that, that you're just, your kids just won't shut up. And so you just get them to shut up by just doing whatever they want you to do. 
instead of enforcing the boundaries that you have in your home, but that is a path that leads to destruction. According to Jesus, a popular way of ease and comfort always leads to destruction. It may not in the immediate, may not, may not be painful in the moment, but the cumulative effect of staying on this way, on this path, on this journey is destruction. Now, we don't have to choose that way. Jesus says that there is another way. But I got to tell you, the way that Jesus describes it, this is the difficult way of self-denial. It's the difficult way of self-denial. Would you say that one with me? The difficult way of self-denial. You didn't really say that one very loud. I don't know why. Like that one, you just didn't seem to be as passionate about that one. The difficult way of self-denial. We were looking at Gates, and and here's, here's an interesting one. It's a little claustrophobic, honestly. Jesus paints the picture of an overlooked tiny gate. You have to search just to find it. And the entrance is so small, you won't be able to take all the baggage that you're used to carrying around with you. There's no room for idols or ambitions or pursuits that oppose his purposes. There's really no room for anything but you and Jesus. The difficult way of self-denial requires a struggle, requires hardship and discipline. You won't find this gate by accident. Now, right about now, you're going, well, I'm not used to hearing about this at church. It's because in American Christianity, this, this one doesn't sell. You don't sell books by talking about the difficult way of self-denial. You don't get very many downloads on your sermons by talking about this, and yet this is exactly what Jesus has to say. It requires thinking differently. You say, thinking differently about what? Thinking differently about everything. It requires thinking differently about God. That I realize that God is love. And God is also at the same time holy, and he is also at the same time just. That he's all three, perfectly, all at the same time. It requires thinking differently of the people around me. That the people around me aren't just disposable units so that I can get what I want out of life. I see them differently. I see them the way that Jesus would see them. It means I I think of myself differently. I don't think of myself, I don't think of, I don't put identity labels on myself that the world would try to put on myself. I decide I am gonna be who Christ made me to be and created me to be. I think differently, it requires thinking differently. It requires making the hard choices that fly straight into the face of our comfortable self-centered living. The difficult way of self-denial means saying no to what everybody else is saying yes to. And it means saying yes to what everybody else is saying no to, right? Kent Hughes says it this way, and he's, he, he wrote a commentary, and he's talking about this whole way, this difficult way of self-denial. He says, when you travel this way, he says, our conduct is narrowed. There are things that we cannot do. Not because anybody's forcing us, but because we are followers of Jesus. There's just some things that we cannot do. Everything is not okay. But in our boundaries... We find liberation socially, sexually, and ethically. It's counterintuitive. It doesn't make sense. You would think that in this narrow way that that it would be restrictive and that we wouldn't have peace, we wouldn't have fun, we wouldn't have life, and yet Jesus is saying this is actually the very way to life. In following the difficult way of self-denial, you will miss out on something. Can I just say that? Can we just be honest? 
and following the difficult way of self-denial, you will miss out on something. But can I tell you, by following the easy way, the popular way of ease and comfort, you will also miss out on something. You're going to miss out on something either path, either way that you take. We have this FOMO in our culture today, right? The fear of missing out. But what if the thing that you're missing out on is the peace of God, the joy of God, the presence of God? If you choose the popular way of ease and comfort, you'll potentially miss out on seeing God. You'll miss out on his activity and his blessing in your life. And Jesus says, this isn't me saying it, so don't get mad at me. Jesus says it ends in destruction. In the end of verse 14, Jesus notes that only a few ever find this way, meaning you can't discover God's way by listening to what everyone else is saying. And as long as we are motivated by pleasing others, we'll never find God's way. Jesus said it this way, on the, and literally on the night that he, the night that we just, the night that he shared the Last Supper with his followers, the night that he is betrayed and arrested, Jesus looks his disciples, he looks his followers in the eyes, just like he would look you in the eyes if he was standing here this morning. And Jesus says these words, if you've been around church world, you've heard these so many times. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus told, Jesus told him, he told them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. See, this message that I'm speaking this morning, some, some of you go, man, it just sounds so like restrictive, but yet listen to what Jesus is saying, especially in a culture where it seems like so many people are struggling to figure out which way is up and which way is down and which way is the path forward. Jesus says unequivocally, he says, I am the way. Maybe you're here and you're lost, trying to figure out which way to go. Jesus says to you, and he says full of love, and full of compassion. He's not here to beat you up. He says, I am the way. In a culture where it just seems like truth, what is truth? I mean, have you, have you ever experienced a time like today? What is truth? Jesus would look you in the eyes and he would say, I am. I am truth itself. I am truth. Stick with me. Follow me. And you don't have to be confused. I am truth. In a world where we're just looking, I mean, we're, we're trying to find life in so many, we're trying to find life in as many sexual conquests or in trying to figure out what even sex is anymore and, and what gender and all this, in, in a world that we're just trying to find life, like real life. Jesus says, listen, I am life. This word that Jesus uses in John 14, 6 for life, and the word that he uses in Matthew chapter 7 when he talks about the road that leads to life, they're both the Greek word zoe. And zoe is not just a biological life, like the life that is animating our bodies right now and will one day expire. Rather, he's talking about life that comes from above. He's talking about everlasting life, a life that doesn't expire, a life after you die, but a life that doesn't just wait until you die, a life that is right now, right here in this moment, regardless of what we face, regardless of what we're going through, that God offers life to us through Jesus. And Jesus says, I am life. I am life, and if you follow my way, you will find life. So, Jesus says there are two gates and there's two paths. 
And when Jesus says this, he's saying there's no neutrality here. There's no indecision. You will choose one or the other, and you can't be on both paths simultaneously. You have to make a choice. You will choose one. Either you will follow the popular way of ease and comfort, or you will follow the difficult way of self-denial. You have to choose. You may be here, and you may be saying, well, how do I... How do I get on Christ's road, this difficult way of self-denial? Like, how do I get there? And I would say that it's as simple as following Jesus. Now notice, I didn't just say praying a prayer. I'm saying it's as simple as actually, actively following Jesus. And following Jesus starts with the decision. Yes, so it starts with the prayer, but it, it cannot end there. Following Jesus means I follow Jesus in the moment that I pray, and then I follow Jesus the rest of the day. And I follow Jesus tomorrow. And I follow Jesus on Tuesday. And I follow Jesus on Wednesday. I follow Jesus when I feel like it, and I follow Jesus when I don't feel like it. And I follow Jesus when I agree with him, and I follow Jesus when I don't really know if I do agree with him. But I'm going to follow him because he's smarter than me, and he's the way. And he's a truth, and he's a life. I, you know, I, I try to, because I think sometimes we have these paradigms, that, because a lot of us have grown up in the church, and we've been to church, we've been to Sunday school, we've been to VBS, I love Jesus, yes I do, I love Jesus. How about you? Like, we, we hear these things. So think about, like, when we say following Jesus, let, let's put it in a total different, like, paradigm. A total, my girls love to listen to Taylor Swift. I call her Tay-Tay, because it annoys my girls. Say, oh, we're listening to Tay-Tay? If you're a follower, and listen, there are, trust me, there are some Swiftites out there. There are some followers of Tay-Tay. If you, if you are, and I'm not going to, please don't, I'm not embarrassing anybody in this room. <laughs> if you are a follower of Tay-Tay, what, what would that mean? If someone says, I'm a follower of Tay-Tay, Taylor Swift, they would never call her Tay-Tay because that's disrespectful. If someone in this room is a follower of Taylor Swift, what would that mean? What would that mean? I, th- I, think, I think, first of all, it would just be a prerequisite that they listen to her music. In fact, if you're really a follower of Taylor Swift, you listen to the right, the right, the right recordings, not the ones that got stolen. Right? You, you listen to the, the, the new ones right? because you're a follower of Taylor Swift. Okay? You don't just listen to her music. You memorize her music, right? You sing along with the words. All those revenge-filled exes that she broke up with. Like, you, you know, I don't know anybody in my life like that. You, you, know, you don't just listen to it like you know it. You've memorized. You sing along with it, right? If you're really a follower of Taylor Swift, you won't have a problem forking over $1,200 for a ticket to her concert, right? Yes, that is right. Google that. Okay, what? Because you're a fan of Taylor Swift, right? Like you, you will make sacrifices. You will, you know her stuff. You will memorize her stuff. Why? Because you're a follower of Taylor Swift. Here's the thing: now we have followers, people who call themselves followers of Jesus, that know nothing of what he has to say. Who know nothing of sacrifice in order to be in his presence. We call ourselves followers of Jesus, and I'm not, I'm not, trying to, I'm not pointing my finger down at your nose because these, these are all things that the Holy Spirit's confronting me with, but, but if I'm a follower of Jesus, do I know him? 
See, I can't walk this difficult way of self-denial without knowing Jesus. We're not just talking about self-denial. There's a lot of people out there, a lot of religions that preach self-denial. This is Christ's way, Jesus' way of self-denial. And it's a difficult way because Jesus said, if you want to follow me, these are the words of Jesus, don't get mad at me. Jesus said, you want to follow me, you've got to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So if I want to follow this way of Jesus, this difficult way of self-denial, I've got to follow Jesus. I mean, it's really as simple as that, right? It's as simple as I need to know what he has to say. I need to know what ticks him off. I need to know what fills him with passion. I need to know what motivates him. I want to know what are the priorities of his teaching. I want to know what are the things that he was, when, when he walked this earth, what did he care about? What was he doing? What did he teach? What did he say that I should do? What did he say that I shouldn't do? I, I want to, if I'm a follower of Jesus, I want to know all those things. And then I want to do the things that he did and say the things that he said and go to places that he would go. And I want to not go to places that he wouldn't go and not say the things that he wouldn't say and not do the things that he wouldn't do, right? Because I'm a follower of Jesus. This path, this difficult way of self-denial that Jesus offers, it requires following him. I follow him by getting to know his word. I mean, really getting to know his word. And listen, I love that we have apps that have a verse of the day, and a verse of a day is great. But it's like eating a Rice Krispie treat. Like all of today. What did you eat today? I ate a Rice Krispie treat. I love Rice Krispie treats. They're one of my favorite snacks. You want to surprise me? Leave some Rice Krispie treats on my desk. I love it, Okay. Don't, I say those things and then like, there'll be like 50 Rice Krispie Treats on my desk. Please don't do it. I don't need that. But a Rice Krispie Treat is air and it's sugar. Right? And it's great. It's great in that moment. And it, yeah, that's it. But, but it doesn't do anything. It doesn't nourish me. It's a great bonus, but it doesn't nourish me. A verse of the day, man, it's a great, it's a great snack, but you're not going to live on that thing. A devotional, a devotional that a preacher or a, a spiritual leader has developed and, and written, or maybe it's a YouTube video or TikTok or whatever it would be. Like, that's great, that's good, but that's not nourishing you. I tell my kids, it's like a, a, a mama bird who goes out and d hunt, does all the hunting and then comes in and the little baby bird, you know, she just like vomits in their mouths, Right? You know, when a, when a pastor or a preacher, spiritual leader, life group leader, when they go out, they've gone out and they've researched and they've, they've thought about it and they've prayed through it and they've, you know, just let it percolate in their minds. for, And, that, and then they bring it to you. That they've done all, and, and then they just vomit into your mouth. Vomit into your mouth. And that's great, okay? That's, that's a little bit of nourishment, but that's baby bird nourishment. That ain't big bird nourishment, right? Like, here... If I'm going to follow Jesus, I need to be in the word of God for myself. You say, I don't even know where to start. I was talking to a friend this week. We were hanging out. Then, how, do, how do I read the Bible? Because the Bible can be intimidating if you've never really read it before. Because it's not like any book because it isn't like any book. Right? So you say, I don't know where to start with the Gospels. What are the Gospels, Ken? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're the first four books of the New Testament, and they're the four accounts of Jesus' life and ministry. And you will get to know Jesus as you read through these four Gospels. And don't read them quickly. 
Read them slowly. It's not about quantity. It's about quality. Read a few paragraphs at a time. If you have questions, write down the questions and find someone who's a few steps ahead of you spiritually and say, hey, can I sit down and ask you some of my questions? And get to know Jesus. Get to know his teachings. Get to know who he is. And then start following and obeying the things that you see Jesus saying. And that's how you choose and stay on this difficult way of self-denial. Is you follow Jesus. Now here's the cool thing. When Jesus ascended to the Father, he left something behind. He left something that today in our English we call the church. But we get the church confused because the church is not a building. It's not a structure. The church, this word in the Greek is the word ekklesia. It's a gathering and it's assembly. It's followers of Jesus. And followers of Jesus together we encourage each other. And we love each other and we cheer each other on. And sometimes we correct each other. We say, hey, I don't think you're, you're on the right path right now, right? Like, how do, we, how do we stay on this difficult way of self-denial? Like, we need each other. We're better together. Carrie and I, when we got married back in the dark ages, <laughs> we got married in 2000. My kids are like, isn't that when the Civil War was fought? And I'm like, yes, it was. <laughs> so long ago. We, we uh, for a honeymoon, we went to the Canadian Rockies, which I don't know if you've ever seen the Canadian Rockies, but there's not a lot of things that I think Canada has that's better than the U.S., but the Rockies, Canada's got that. So we fly into Calgary, and this is back before cell phones, before GPS, all that. We fly into Calgary, and we rent a car, and we drive to Banff, and we get this little, like, cabin, right? I mean, it's got water and stuff, but it's awesome. We get this little cabin, and uh, we had this photo book of the Canadian Rockies, and it had descriptions of, like, where things were at, and we had a map. So we'd wake up in the morning, and we'd look through our photo booth and we'd book, and we'd say, oh, we want to go to Lake Louise. Oh, that would be so, look at that. That picture's stunning. We got to go there. And so we'd find it on the map, and we'd go there, and we'd take our bottled water, we'd take our walking stick, and we'd just walk. And this isn't Ohio walking certainly not like Sandusky County walking. This is like walking with an elevation, right? And so, so what you would find is you'd get into the parking lot and there would be tour buses that would drop off. I mean, all these tourists would come spilling out of these tour buses. But I would laugh because these tour buses, the, 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 these tourists, they would all stay on the concrete path. But you know, you don't see anything pretty on a concrete path. We'd find the trails and Carrie and I would go up in these trails and I'm telling you, I, I'm an introvert, so I like traveling by myself, but I'd much rather travel with a beautiful woman next to me. And so we're, we're going through these trails and stuff, and we're going up. There's a tea house at the top of this. I mean, you got to, I don't even know how high up we were to go to this. Tour. They have to take, like, helicopters. They have to drop off the stuff to these tea houses because they're so far up in there. And, and I, listen, you can try that path by yourself, and you'll be okay maybe for a couple of days. But you go too much further beyond that without others around you, supporting you, encouraging, coaching you, and you're going to give up because it's too hard. You're going to go back to where all the tourists are at on the concrete paths. We are better together. I need you, and you need me. We need each other. We need each other encouraging each other, challenging each other, saying, you can do it. Don't give up. Don't you dare go back. We're almost there. See, I, I can see it. I can see it up there. It's going to be so cool when we get there. We can order our tea and our little egg salad sandwich. And 
sit around the balcony and look at all the people struggling to get up. It's going to be awesome, right? You, we need each other. This difficult way of self-denial, you cannot do it on your own. You need others. You need the body of Christ. That's why when you, when you walked in the doors today, you saw all these tables, and you're like, are they having a garage sale today? Like, what's, what's going on out there? But I've never seen a garage sale that has bowls of candy, so this is cool. Spoiler alert, there's bowls of candy, like, all over the place out there. What, this week, literally this week, we're starting a new semester of life groups, and we've got parenting, a parenting group, we have marriage groups, we have men's Bible studies, women's Bible studies, grief share, chain breakers, loving an addict, there's all, I'm sure I've left something off and someone's going to be offended at me later, but other great groups. You, you should check out these groups. And there's more than even the groups that we have the tables of. There, there's even more that you can see online if you go to our website or to our app and, 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 and click on those groups. I, I want to challenge you. If you're not in a community of Jesus followers, find one of these groups and try it out. And you know what? The great thing about a life group isn't just that there's great content. I mean, that's good. You're going to forget a lot of the content. It's the relationships that you build. Because eventually life goes south. And when life goes south, do you have people that you can call? Do you have people who are in your corner? People who, are, who have spiritual maturity to say, don't you dare give up. Don't you dare leave this path. I'm with you. Where have you been? I haven't seen you in a while. Come on. We can do this, right? We're better together. But there is a warning about the voices that we surround ourselves with. Let's keep going in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus says, watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. So along this path, this difficult way of self-denial, we need others, but we got to be careful of the others that we surround ourselves with. Because there are some who want to get us off course. There's some who want to steal our attention away from Jesus. Jesus said that these false prophets come in sheep's clothing. In other words, their teaching is subtle and it's pleasing and it's pleasant. And they don't deny the truth because that would, be, that would make it way too easy for you to spot them. If they denied the Bible or denied God or denied Jesus, what they do is they just, they just distort the Bible. They just, they just twist it a little. They twist the words of Jesus. They'll quote scripture, but they'll, they'll twist it. You know Satan, Satan uh, quoted scripture to Jesus. Now, when we think about these false prophets, we instinctively think of pastors and TV evangelists and ministry leaders. And listen, you should. You should be discerning of who you listen to. You should be discerning of what I have to say. Don't ever take what I have to say just at face value. You should be looking in the word of God and studying it for yourselves and making sure that what I'm saying is in alignment with the word of God. You should be doing that with every influencer in your life. Who are the influencers in your life? Not just in church world. Who, who, who are you paying attention to on YouTube or TikTok? Who, who are the social media posts that you pay attention to? Who are the voices out there in culture that you really lean into? Who are the Tay-Tays that are out there? Who do you look up to? Who do you aspire to be like? What, what voices are impacting your view on the issues 
of our time and of our day. See, there are people out there who appear to be very spiritual, very positive, but inwardly they are devouring wolves. They are distorting the truth of God's word. Jesus said right near the end of his ministry, also in the Gospel of Matthew, but all the way near the end of Matthew, in Matthew chapter 24, Jesus said, he's speaking of the future, he's speaking of the times that we live in today. He says, many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many, many will turn away from me and betray and hate each other. Many false prophets will appear and will deceive many people. Sin will be rampant everywhere, and the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Listen, can I just challenge you as your pastor to be discerning about who is influencing you? What authors, what speakers, what what social media influencers? Be discerning of who you are paying attention to and the message that they have to say, because if I'm going to think like Jesus, I need to surround myself with people who teach the words of Jesus, the ethic of Jesus. There's a whole lot more in Scripture about false prophets. Acts 20, verses 29 through 31. 2 Peter, chapter 2. If you're in the Bible in one year, yesterday the reading that we were reading in 2 Corinthians 11 talks about false prophets. So what do we do? Like, are we paranoid? Are we looking for, like, a false prophet behind every bush? You know, like, maybe I just don't even go to church anymore because maybe the pastor is a false prophet. No, Jesus gives us some instruction. He keeps going in Matthew chapter 7, the very next verse, verse 16. He says, you can identify them, these false teachers, by their fruit. That is, by the way they act. Can you pick grapes from thorn bushes? What do you think, can you? No. Can you pick figs from thistles? No. A good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Here's the good news. We can identify people, but it's going to mean paying attention to their fruit. Does this influencer promote the narrow way presented by Jesus? Do they encourage poverty of spirit and humility and purity and reliance upon God's word, prayerfulness, generosity, and repentance? You say, Ken, where did you get that list from the Sermon on the Mount that we've been working our way through? The influencers in your life, you you can tell a lot by how they actually live their lives. Don't just pay attention to the words that they say. What does their life convey? How do they treat other people? What about their lives? Is there evidence that the Holy Spirit is producing the fruits, and we see this in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, the fruit of love? Is there love demonstrated in their lives, love toward others? Is there joy? Joy is a fruit of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Is there peace? Listen, if, if you're paying attention to influencers who are just always divisive, Like everything that comes out of their mouth is divisive. I'm just saying they're not in alignment with Christ. Yes or yes? We don't know if we agree with this. I'm just saying we pay attention to their fruit is what Jesus is saying. And one of the fruit of being filled with the Holy Spirit is the fruit of peace. 
How about patience? The King James Version word for patience, we don't like it, so we changed it, is long-suffering. Ooh, long-suffering. We'll just call it patience. How about kindness? Goodness. Goodness is an attribute of just who you are, your ethic. Faithfulness. Are they faithful? Do you see evidence of faithfulness in our life? How about gentleness? The influencers that you're paying attention to, is, it, is there the attribute of gentleness? Self-control. Listen, some of the voices that we're listening to don't get any of those nine. And I wonder if we should be listening to them as much. As you pursue Christ's difficult way of self-denial, pay attention to the voices around you. Is there teaching in alignment with God's word? If it deviates even slightly, I'm telling you, and this is what Jesus is saying, it's a warning. What is the fruit of their life? So let me ask you to stand. If you've been around Journey, you know this is a good sign. Okay, if we're standing, it means we are going to get out of here sooner than later at least. Can I ask you this morning, what way have you chosen? You say, I haven't chosen, I haven't chosen either way. Then you have chosen. Have you chosen the popular way of ease and comfort? It's the way of culture. It's the way of world. Do whatever makes you happy. Do whatever makes you comfortable. But, by the way, Jesus isn't opposed to happiness, okay? Opposing, following Jesus doesn't mean that we're all Eeyores now for the rest of our lives. I'm gonna follow Jesus. Don't think it's gonna be very fun. Right? I'm not, I'm not saying that at all. In fact, I would argue that the, the greatest happiness, joy that you're going to find, fulfillment, flourishing, that you're going to find is in following Jesus. Life is in the way of Jesus. One path leads to destruction and the other to life. No matter where you've traveled in the past, there's always time for you to make the choice to follow Jesus. I love that about him. He's inclusive in that way. That he says, whosoever, regardless of where you've been, regardless of what you've done, regardless of what's been done to you, today can be the day that you say, I'm leaving this path and I'm going to follow the path of Jesus. You can make that decision. Can I just warn you again, though? It's not just about praying a prayer. It's a decision to follow Jesus. In the good, when life is cupcakes and unicorns, and in the bad, when the troubles and the tribulations just keep piling on. Following Jesus is denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him. It's relying on the Holy Spirit to produce fruit in our lives. And it's not fruit that I, can, I can't produce this fruit in my life. I have to come in alignment with him and agree with him and decide I'm no longer going to follow the way of Adam. I'm going to be in the way of Christ. I'm no longer going to be in the way of sin. I'm going to be in the way of grace. I'm not going to be in the way of condemnation. I'm going to be in the way of righteousness. I'm not going to be in the way of captivity. I'm going to follow the way of freedom. And this is all through the death and resurrection of Jesus. Him proving that he has the authority that we so need the power that we're so lacking.
It's all through him. So would you close your eyes for a moment? And I ask you to do that now because we're gonna do anything weird, but I know I get distracted by people walking around and everything else that's going on and other people, their responses. So let's close our eyes for a moment and let me just ask, maybe you're here this morning and you say, Ken, I've, I've just been following the way of this world, been following the, the way of comfort, the way of ease. Today I recognize I need to go a different way. I need to go the way of Jesus. I need to go the way of his death and resurrection. I need to go the way of denying myself. I need him in my life. I need him to lead my life and to control my life. If that's you this morning, and again, we're not gonna embarrass you. We believe baptism in two weeks is the way that we publicly demonstrate what God is doing privately inside of us. But if that's you and you say, Ken, I, I, I need to get off of the path I'm on and I need to get on the path of Jesus. Will you just raise your hand so I can pray with you and for you? Yeah, I see you. After I, yeah, I see you right there too. I see you, I see you, I see you, I see you. I see you over there. After you've raised your hand, you can lower anybody else that would say that's me. I see you over there. Yep. Anybody else? I see you back there. Anybody else that would say that's me? I see you right there, sir. Anybody else? I see you back there. Yep. Anybody else? The way of Jesus is a way of fulfillment. It's not easy, okay? I don't want to lie to you. I don't want to be a preacher who lies to you. It's not going to be easy. But he promises that he will be with you, that he'll never leave you and he'll never forsake you. He promises that in the midst of whatever's swirling around us, that we can have his peace and we can have his presence. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name and I pray for my friends who have raised their hands. And even right now, is under their breath, they just say, Jesus, have mercy on me. I want to follow you. I believe that you died on the cross, that you rose from the grave. That, you're, that you are the one who can do in me what I can't do for myself. Forgive me. I want to follow your way. I want to follow your path. God, I pray for my friends. I know so many raised their hands this morning. And God, I just think of the potential. If just those who raised their hands this morning can have your power and your grace, doesn't mean they're going to get it perfect, doesn't mean that they're, they're going to they're have screw-ups along the way where they're just going to have to look up and say, I messed that one up, forgive me. But God, the cumulative effect of us just every day waking up and saying, I'm going to follow you today, Jesus. You tell me where to go, I'm going to go. Tell me who to talk to, I'm going to talk to him. I'm going to say what you want me to say. God, the cumulative effect of us following after you. We could change this world. We could change this world. Maybe that's too macro. We could change our families. We could change a school. We could change a workplace. 
So God, would you do something inside of us right now that is beyond this moment and beyond this time, God, that a stick-to-itiveness, a perseverance, a, a, a commitment, a deep-seated, a power that is not of ourselves, that is of your Holy Spirit to actively actually follow you. And God, give us discernment of the voices around us. If we don't have any good, solid Christian voices around us, help us to find those individuals. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, before you go, first of all, connection cards, make sure you have those. We have some good-looking people in the back with those white buckets. But secondly, if you would, take a few moments out in the lobby to look at some of those life groups. Ask some questions. We have life group leaders that are out there behind the tables. They would love to talk to you. Ask some questions. And uh, man, maybe today would be the day you find your tribe. So God bless you. We'll see you guys later. Bye.